Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Chip. Hello. Well, we were just talking because we're so excited. We have a very special guest on today. Jillian Tarecki is here with us. Hi, Jillian. Hi. And I was just telling Jillian and also Chip that we, or I posted on my Instagram about Jillian being on the podcast and you guys like freaked out. I don't know if a lot of you must follow her as well, but she's so wise with her relationship advice and has such a big Instagram following and is here to answer all of your relationship questions, which you guys flooded us with. So we are going to go ahead and just like really jump in really quickly. But I was actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you do and how you got into this because I told you I was researching earlier and I was like, you were trained under Tony Robbins? What? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your journey into getting into coaching. Oh, let's see. Where do I begin? Well, I, um, I was a yoga teacher and had taught yoga for about 17 years. Um, and I would say like 10 years into it, I was, wanting something more, but didn't, had no idea what that was. There was just like a craving inside. Anyway, I ended up meeting the man who would become my husband and then my ex-husband and I got married and it was really, really painful and and difficult. And uh, a lot of what, you know, details I won't get into because we can go in for an hour with that. Um, I outline, I outline some of it in my heartbreak workbook, but I, I, so I went through um, a really painful relationship with him. And when it ended, it ended very abruptly. And um, at the same time, my mom had been diagnosed with lung cancer and only given a couple of months to live. Mm. So here I was, um, Uh, the man who I thought I was going to grow old with. And I had a belief system and my belief system was, you know, I don't want to ever get divorced. I also had a belief system that said, you know, if you're single at 40, like you are, um, or in your late thirties or 40, like you're like, like, what am I going to do? You know, that ridiculous, um, belief system. And, um, I also went through a miscarriage. So I went through a lot all on the day that he left and um it was devastating and so i definitely went through a dark night of the soul it was i mean it was the most it was just horrible i mean my whole world was falling apart and um i didn't know what i was going to do so i just remember that i was uh sitting outside because i have a dog and she made sure that I got outside a lot. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have left my apartment for a month. Um, and I was sitting the day after my ex-husband you know, broke up with me basically over the phone. And I was sitting outside because it was June in New York and it was warm. 
And I ran into a neighbor of mine who's now a very dear friend of mine, who was also a life coach at the time. And this was like, you know, not this was before everyone was a life coach. Right. <laughs> this yeah, everyone was, is a life coach. Yeah, now. everyone was like, especially on was a yoga teacher. Then people right. were trying to become a life coach. So um, I, you know, spoke to her and uh, started working with her. And she said, you know, just to bring Tony into this, she's just said, you know, do you ever listen to Tony Robbins stuff? And I was like the infomercial guy. Cause that's how I knew him. <laughs> I was, I was very much, <laughs> I was very much in the yoga world, but like personal development coaching world. I was not into it at all. I mean, yeah. this was, this was now eight years ago. So I, um, you know, there wasn't like, I had an Instagram account, but like never post this was so much has changed, you know, obviously in eight years. So, um, and I, and he's like, I think you should listen to him. You know, I think, I think it, it will, it will help you. And I was very, very um, skeptical, mm-hmm. but she sent me some stuff that, you know, you couldn't find on YouTube or couldn't find anywhere else. And she's like, just watch this. And I was like, okay. And I did. And I watched an intervention of his and that was it. I was like this, I, I feel, I'm feel inspired. And for me to feel inspired when inspired, when I literally feel like it's taking everything, every part of my will to stay alive. I was like, okay, I'm just going to roll with this. So it was listening to him and his methodology that actually helped me climb out of a hole. And then I thought, um, I went to an event of his and there was a day where there was a very big focus on relationships. And it was in that moment, I was like, oh, I understand what really happened here. It was like the beginning of the understanding. And I was absolutely determined to figure out why the hell my relationship didn't last, why none of my relationships last. I mean, I've had some really nice relationships, but why I was in this position and I was determined to figure it out. And as I was figuring out, I felt the same compulsion that I did when I started practicing yoga um, 20 over 22 years ago, which was that I have to teach this. Yeah. I started to teach it and I started to teach it to my students that I had already. I used to just do these free talks and there would be like 50 people who would show up and listen. And then I started this newsletter and then I, it just started and I was like, this is what I have to help people with. And the rest is history. My gosh. I feel like you're telling my story. I'm having that weird moment right now where I just feel exactly the same things, except I'm just now going, or I just went through maybe what Chip was talking about. Like this last relationship really pushed me into figuring out who I am. And I don't know um, exactly how you would describe this, but what I read on your website and something I really resonated with was the fact that like kind of when you get into that dark night of the soul and you're analyzing like why the relationships didn't work. And a lot of times I think we want to be like, well, I just picked that partner and they weren't the right match. But Mm -hmm. I picked actually the exact right partners every time. I'm starting to change that narrative because I picked the right partner to push me into looking at the stuff within myself that still needed to be healed or to like myself in a different way than I've ever been able to. And it did push me to develop such a deeper connection to self, respect for myself, love for myself. And when I was reading on your website, so much of what you teach is based off of our relationships with ourselves. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so whether you whether a person chooses wrong or chooses right or messes things up or whatever it is, every relationship that we have, every romantic relationship, let's just keep it very specific to that, will always be a reflection of how you relate to yourself, mm-hmm. always. Um, and it will also always be a reflection of your level of skill. And that skill, you know, is how we're conditioned from child. I mean, some people actually have better relationship skills than others because of how they were raised, to be perfectly honest. And, um, 
And it's not just how they were raised, it's where they were raised, it's culture, it's everything. So um, people think that if they're going to just change partners, that that's enough of a solution. And sometimes that does contribute to a solution. Sometimes you really just need to be with someone who's better matched for you. But if we're not willing to change, likely we're just going to keep repeating the same patterns over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. And so um, that, that relationship, like the one that you described and, you know, my ex, my marriage, when you have that relationship that shakes you to the core, to the point where you wake up, because really what you're describing is like, Oh, like waking up, you know, because we're, we're in a trance most of the time. Yeah. And uh, then it's a blessing. Honestly, I know that's like a really overused word, but it kind of is. You could see it as a blessing or you could see it as a curse. And I think that anything that wakes you up, that makes you look at things that um, you've never been willing to look at before, you've been in denial for, there's been some sort of repression or suppression there, I think is a gift. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's just so painful sometimes the way that we get the path to getting there. That it is hard to be like, oh, I'm so grateful for. You know? <laughs> it is so hard. Yeah. No, it is so hard. It is really so hard. Well, and, and I think uh, human nature too is like, and you know, this, I think this happens in so many aspects of our lives. Like we are with like the advancement of technology and convenience, like we, we're naturally, we want everything to be easy. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're wired for pleasure, we're wired for pleasure and we want it to be easy. And I catch myself Very being true. guilty of it in so many areas of my life when it comes to work. I want it to be easy. Like, I'm like, oh, that's going to be so hard. But it's like, I also know that like on the other side of it is satisfaction. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, so many of us, myself included, we live in this space where it's like, we don't want to hurt. We want it to be easy. We just that's want love to be true. easy. And so how do that, how do we you know overcome that? Well, part of that you have to, is also very American. Yeah, it's, totally. You yes. know, this is not this doesn't don't exist feel. The, yeah, this is not this is this idea of wired for pleasure and want everything to be easy is not universal. Mm-hmm. It's very cultural, and I think that uh, as Americans, we are wired for that and conditioned for that more than any other culture. Yeah. And so, so to, to overcome it is also to understand it. And one one of the things you have to understand is like, okay, this is, this is um, not really, this isn't, this is not universal. This is why I think so many people are drawn to yogic teachings and Buddhist teachings and teachings of the East, because this is not, (laughs) that's not the belief system there. Mm -hmm. And so if we are going to liberate ourselves from um, that sort of conditioning, which actually paradoxically leads to so much pain. Truly, it's crazy. It leads All to so pain much pain. to avoid is actually what you end up stuck in if you don't it's, it's let yourself feel. True. Right. Yeah. Lonesome. Seriously lonesome. It's, yeah, it's very, very lonesome. So learning how to be in the discomfort is, um, I have found to be very, very important understanding that um, it's all a part of life and then making very conscious decisions to wise up, get smarter. Mm -hmm. And that in the, in the world of relationships often means, for example, like stop dating that kind of person and stop being that person. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a combination of things. And so it's a lot of hard truths, but when you face them, you end up getting really good results and yeah. you end up being happier. Yeah. I always say to people, I think it's funny because a big one I hear a lot of people who don't want to feel the bad feelings is I just want peace in my life. I just want peace. And I'm like, the only way to actual peace though, is to feel the feelings and like get the peace from within. That's like, that's the only peace we can ever really find. I truly believe that. And it's just so interesting to watch us all like seek externally and chase all the things and the relationship and the, I don't know, 
programmed fantasy world that we think that we all need to live in. It's just really interesting to me. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, and also too, you run the risk of like feeling like a fucking coward, you know, and like there's no peace in that because it's like you you know that you're the problem. <laughs> you know, it's oh, if you and, don't face yourself, you yeah, mean? if you don't yeah. face these things, and you're like, oh, why am I such a coward? Why can't I just do this? And which puts you in a really unsettled place. Like there's no peace in that. I know. I know. It's really, look, none of this is easy. It's not easy when things are not, when things are like life is filled with things that don't work out. Mm -hmm. But when you see a pattern of something consistently not working out when all you want is the opposite, you know, at some point you have to say like, you know, what's the common denominator to me. Right. And then to be able to actually face that without hating yourself is where is mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the hardest work. Mm-hmm. That really is the hardest work. Mm-hmm. Well, if people are interested in looking deeper within, they can go, you guys can go check out Jillian's website. It's JillianTarecki.com. This is the kind of stuff that she um, has courses on. You do private coaching sessions. There's workshops. There's all sorts of info. There's a blog. I like got really deep on your <laughs> website earlier. Oh, did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's just so much great information or just different articles that you've been interviewed on. Um Oh my God, the cheating, micro cheating. I have never heard of that. And I read this article that you were a part of recently that was amazing. So, oh, yeah, that was a while ago. Oh, yeah, I remember. It was a while ago. It was a couple years ago. But I know, but, but, you know, life is weird now. Two years, three, something that was three years ago feels like 20 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely does. Yeah. 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 Decades ago. But (laughs) anyway, you guys can check out Jillian's work. There's also really on Instagram at Jillian Tarecki. And I'll put all of this in the description and we'll mention it at the end of the podcast. But I do want to get into people's questions because as I said, we have a ton. So let's get through what we can today. And we might just have to have you back for a second session, Jillian. But okay. So Autumn asks, Jillian says to release chemistry, how do I know if I'm falling in love without the spark? Oh, no, I don't believe in releasing chemistry. I think chemistry is very important. Um, You have to have emotional, physical, psychological chemistry with someone. You can't, I mean, unless you're someone, because I believe that there are, you know, with all the billions of people on the planet, not everybody wants a sexual relationship with a partner. Some people really just want partnership, believe it or not. But um, no, you need chemistry. But the thing is, is that if you have a pattern of getting into these relationships that are super hot and heavy in the beginning, and then they just crash and burn, then typically what's happening is that you're forming these really strong attachments with people based just on chemistry. And the thing is, when you have chemistry with someone, that doesn't mean that they're a right, that they're a good match for you. doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're not. But I will say, again, if you have a pattern of, oh, uh, like, let's say you have a pattern of toxic relationships, of really unhealthy trauma bond, whatever you want to call it, unhealthy relationships. And okay. Guilty. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And usually in those scenarios, what's very common is that there's strong chemistry. There's strong chemistry in the beginning. Then if that is someone's pattern, then Unfortunately, you have to, and this is going to be shocking to some, you have to stop trusting yourself mm-hmm. when it comes to um, whoever it is that you date, like you date men. Yes. Yes. So um, you can't really entirely trust yourself then. You can't trust the deep, the, in, your, in that case, in your case, you can't really trust the deep chemistry. Totally. That's when you have to question it. Um but just that, just in general, to for a relationship to really work, there has to be more than chemistry. There has to be compatibility. Mm-hmm. There has to be um, shared vision, shared values. There has to be trust. what's that? Trust. All of that trust. Trust builds. Yeah, there has to be trust. There has to be, um, there has to just be more. Yeah. 
Mutual so, respect keeps popping up in my mind too. Oh yeah. Well, respect is very important. And then, and it takes time, mm-hmm. but people, what happens is that there's a strong, there's strong chemistry and they will totally ignore all the warning signs, all the red flags. They'll start making excuses for behavior all because chemistry is very, very addictive. It's very, very powerful. And if we're not smart about it, we will start to make a ton of excuses yeah. so that we can make this this attachment happen. Totally. And that's a dangerous place to be. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off, and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Someone told me, and tell me if I'm getting this right, but um, this is my pattern, and it has been, you know, I told you my 30s were terrible, and I just had this repeated pattern of I would be single for a while, and I was really working on myself, and my life was actually really good, and then I would go into a dysfunctional relationship. And just as you said, the red flags were there, but I, because of my patterns, would really try not to accept them. Like it was just this thing. Um, But someone told me like the chemistry piece of not, like if I, I know it now, I can see it. But like, because when I I remember meeting my ex and shaking his hand and we had this eye contact that I knew, I was like, oop, you should run the the other way. You should run. Because it was that feeling, it's that deep thing that I think we confuse with chemistry. And what was taught to me is that it's familiarity. Mm -hmm. And so because I grew up in a chaotic household and with an alcoholic father, a lot of times that is going to be the thing that feels comfortable to me because it's familiar. And so I I confuse that with like chemistry. 
Yes. Um, and so in that way, it is like I need to date slower. I need to take my time to get to know someone actually really pay attention and accept the truth about who they are. <laughs> There's two things that yeah. I want I want to I want to say about that. So okay. when so the the first thing is Yes, so much of that has to do with familiarity, but there's another okay. component to it as well. Um, that's really common with women um, who uh, are very drawn to what would be considered like the bad boy archetype. Yeah, and this happens. This happens in gay relationships as well. But like, let's just say, let's just take the 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 bad boy archetype, and that archetype could be a gay man or it could be a woman, actually, because we're just thinking archetypes. Let's just put it in, in since since you date men, let's put it in this in this context. So a lot of women will be drawn to that archetype because the way that it's been, we've been conditioned by that archetype to believe that he will protect us. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something very alluring to him. He comes from, he comes from like a dark, the wrong side of the tracks or a dark past, but he's really worked on himself. And so there's this, we see him as having this sort of inherent masculinity and that masculinity actually helps us get a lot more in touch with our femininity. And we think, oh, he's going to protect me. He's going to, or he's going, another really um, common story is He's going to be different with me. Yeah, totally. And I'm going to be the one who changes him. We all want that story. I we feel. all want that mm-hmm. because we've seen that. Mm-hmm. And also because it is incredibly, um, we feel it's impossible to not feel incredibly powerful as a woman to think that we are the one that this rare masculine being has changed to, to choose us. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very, very empowering to feel that, but it's a lie. Right. Right. So, um, so it's important to put it into some sort of context where you understand the sort of pathology of it and that it's not just, it's familiar, even though that's very, that is, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that because that's also very true. And so we have to recondition ourselves to understand that actually that kind of guy is not going to contribute to our lives. He's going to take, he's going to want attention. He's going to want sex. He's going to want from us. He's not going to give to us. And unfortunately, so many women, we've been conditioned to um, really just keep giving and to keep pleasing in our relationships, to be enough, to be the one that's 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 chosen, but it does not work that way. Mm-hmm. We actually have to go into a relationship feeling like we are deserving of actually being given to that, so that we are giving from a place that's genuine, not from a place of trying to prove our worth, because yes. it all goes back to self worth. And we have to recondition ourselves to understand that a truly, you know, quote unquote, a man who's actually going to protect us or protect our honor, right? Respect us. It would be another way that I would say protection is a man who's got, who's has a high degree of integrity and maturity and presence. He's not going to be the other guy. So there's that. And then for the other point that I wanted to make is that for women like yourself who have this pattern mm-hmm. and you said and you said very insightfully like i need to go slow yeah you the advice that i give those women is give the man who you find interesting mm-hmm. who you find interesting and that you feel really comfortable around give him the chance because that mental attraction could actually go down into your vagina. Right. But if you start with the vagina, it's going to be a problem. You're messed up, right? <laughs> you're, you're in danger. You're, it's going to be a problem. Totally. And the interesting thing, like I want to point this out to the listeners is because we mentioned the bad boy. And the interesting thing about my stuff is it's never the bad boy. It is the guy who looks like the nice guy. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. And like that to me translates as safe. Yes. And so sometimes I'll even like settle for something that is not 
like it just isn't enough for me or a match or anything. But I'm like, oh, I've been out in the trenches with these bad boys. Like I'm going to like take pick the nice guy because that'll be safe. He'll be able to provide whatever all that stuff you said, protection and all the things. The main thing that I'm learning is like it's a, it's a um, actions matching words thing. Like, because all the words of the quote unquote nice guy sound exactly like what I would want to hear and what you just described and all the things. But if the actions aren't matching that and the respect and the integrity and all that stuff isn't there, it's just like the bad boy. Like they, they are, they are just the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Integrity is matching words with actions. That's really what it is. Yeah. So whatever the face is, it's, it's looking at the stuff that Jillian said. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Um, the next question says, how should I interpret a partner putting their ex on a pedestal? This led to my last breakup. Um, I mean, I would just need so much more information to be able to yeah. answer that question. And, you know, I would need to know, like, is that ex the mother of their children? Okay. Um, you know, it's, that's a tough one because yeah, that's a tough one because I want, I would want to know more like, what is, what does this person mean by them putting them on a pedestal? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so let's just, I'm, I'll just make some assumptions. So let's just say they don't have, they, they still have unfinished business with their ex. So let's just go with that. Okay. Uh, that's a problem. Yes. Straight up. It's a problem. Um, if they are still just, um, like I've had clients where they start dating a man who's divorced and maybe they've been divorced a couple of years, right? I'm not saying they're just going through a divorce. They've literally, they're legit been divorced a couple of years, but somehow they're like afraid to move on because they don't want to upset the ex-wife. Like I've seen that a lot. Peace. Like you don't need that in your life at all. So when, so that's what I mean by unfinished business with the ex. If they're still tethered, I mean, they, they might be tethered because they share children. They might be tethered because they're friends. But if they're tethered in such a way that they're not, you know, putting, making you the focal point and they're still making the ex the focal point, yeah, it's a problem. Can you so, talk a little more about unfinished business? Because I actually think that that, um, I, the reason I say that is I have a friend who's just in a dating relationship and it's exactly what you're describing of um, they've been divorced a couple years, this other, this guy she's dating and he, but he still sort of has this tie to taking care of her. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I, I've said similar things. I'm like, that feels like unfinished business and like a connection. So what is unfinished business? What can it look like? Well, yeah, it could feel like, um, still feeling emotionally responsible for the ex, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like there's still, there's still a dependency there, whether it's like, oh, they're upset. So I don't want to do anything to upset them more. I want to be to take, I want to be the person who's still taking care of them. Like they're Mm -hmm. still, they're still in relationship in a way that seems sort of like a relationship, you know, they're not. So that would be the unfinished business. Like you still feel, you still feel like, you know, they still go to you Mm -hmm. when they're upset as opposed to going to someone else or you're, you are, um, you know, maybe you're going through a breakup or through a divorce and things are still very sticky and Mm web-like. I don't recommend getting involved in that. No, made that mistake too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ship is over there. Yes. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> um, I also was thinking with the kids thing, like obviously you're going to have to have a connection with your ex if you share children. But I do, I have experienced, like or observed certain friends of mine who have that dynamic, but it's about like boundaries. And so it doesn't really like infiltrate their current relationships if they keep the boundaries like it's definitely possible it doesn't have to be so enmeshed no of course it's possible and look you know the best case scenario is that they best case scenario scenarios if you are dating someone who's divorced with kids that he or she has a um has a has a good relationship with their ex right not an enmeshed one right but you know first of all unfinished business could also look like they're constantly fighting Mm. Yeah. 
kind of the same coin, but two sides. Exactly. I'd rather them be in, in, have a, have a really nice co-parenting relationship. Totally. Yeah. Whatever it is that like gets in the way of your connection with your partner. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The next question says you love and care for someone, but they can't meet your needs. You end it. How do you deal with the grief? Hmm. I wrote an entire workbook for this. This is how you you deal with the grief. Um, You know, breaking up heartbreak is an emotional catastrophe. Mm. It's a spiritual meltdown. Not everyone, but the ones that are really bad are, you know, I mean, I had to grieve the death of my mom and I had to grieve my husband and there were times where grieving him was harder than grieving my mom, not long-term, but it's just, you know, it's really, really intense. So um, there's stages to this. When you're in the acute stages of grief, you just have to, first of all, get yourself in therapy. If you can get yourself in a support group, you know, surround yourself with the people who love you and care about you. Don't isolate. Okay. Um, Try to stick to your routines as best as you can drink a lot of water, make sure you're eating food, you know, because some people can barely peel themselves out of bed. Mm -hmm. So that would be the acute stage. Um, And then you want to start then progressing to a stage where you allow yourself to also have some joy. So let's just say you're not totally over the person, but you can make space in your day where you're not constantly thinking about that person. So allow yourself to have some joy, try new things, um, you know, see your friends, have a laugh, do whatever you have to do. And then, you know, this is sort of interwoven into it, figure out, you know, what went wrong. And when, okay. So in throughout feel your feelings, Yeah. but it's really important that you don't get stuck in the really hard feelings. Cause that's what people tend to do. People people do one of two things with feelings that is not healthy. They either repress them or they get stuck too long in one particular stage of grief. Either they're stuck in depression or they're stuck in anger and they can't, they're like not moving on. So it's, you know, great book is letting go by David Hawkins. Mm. So that's, it teaches you how to feel your feelings and let go, feel your feelings. Like, Oh, you need to process. That's why talking to a therapist, just like getting it all out. Journaling helps you process because what you eventually want, what you want to get to is you want to understand your part and their part. You really want to try to get as objective as you can because the mental gymnastics in the beginning will be blaming yourself, then blaming the other, then blaming yourself, then blaming the other, and it's um, torture. So you really want to get to a point where you, under- when you understand your part, you understand their part, and then ultimately you kind of change the story that you have because you everyone has in their grief this story of what happened and what went down, and you don't have perspective. Right. Do not you when you when this just happens and you're in when you're within the throes of all the pain, you you cannot see clearly. And that's about anything in life. Yeah. So you have to understand that you are completely understandably, but you're completely deluded. And then as you start to get perspective, you start to see like, okay, there was a lesson in this. Oh, I see my part in this. Oh, I see their part in this. Wait, what else could this mean? Maybe I was meant to, you know, so then that's hopefully, it's what I like to help people with, start to think about and reflect on it over time in ways that actually start to empower you rather than getting stuck. I mean, I see people, you know, they they write to me and there's like, it's been 10 years and I'm still so angry. Or it's been 10 years and I'm still so sad. I'm like, mm. that breaks my heart totally. because they're totally stuck in a, in a, in a frame of thinking that that's deluding them. Yeah. Literally. You're not living then. Not living. No. And then you think, and then you think you're going to let that person or that relationship rob you of your whole life. Come on. No, exactly. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that there's a... um a, a distinction between the type of grief that you feel when you lose a loved one versus when you go through a breakup because uh, the, when someone passes away it's definitive they are gone you are never going to see them again you, you might have memories of them or you might have you, something reminds you of them like that you used to do or their favorite place yeah. or a song or whatever but when you break up with a person, there's there's the the what ifs. Well, what if I see them at the grocery store with their new person? You know, how like you, you can create so many what ifs in your mind that make it a lot harder to move on. So is there a is the acute stage of grief longer? Yeah, that's really, that's because of something question. like that? Yeah, it's really hard. And that's why. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I've certainly felt this. And I've had dozens of clients say this to me. It would, you know, I've had these thoughts, like it would be easier if they died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I wish they had died because then at least, you know, cause to be grieving someone who, you know, is still out in the world and doing things is really, really, really hard. So the grief is the same, but there are times, um, you have to you have to grieve them as though they did die because the reality is is as the, the person that you thought that they were first of all died the relationship did die um even if it changes form even if you're able to be friends later what you had is no longer in existence mm. who you were in that relationship so there's so much death and rebirth so yeah it's really in that way um in that way, what makes grieving harder when you break up with someone is that there's an, there's an acute anxiety to it that you don't always feel as intensely as someone actually who died because you're like, I could run into them 
What's going to happen when I find out that they've moved on? What if they have a relationship before I do? You know, all of that. It's help. Mm -hmm. And then it's not help. Yeah. That description, that really hit me. I got really teary-eyed. I think it's like, um, to me, all I was thinking when you were saying that was just maybe when someone actually dies, the acceptance piece can come a little quicker because it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's just there, like they're dead. There's not. Well, it's, it's. Mm, it's is that hard. Not it? you know, it's hard to say. Look, the reality is is that in the beginning, it might feel harder to go through a breakup. But as someone who lost her mom, and I, you know, I was very close with her, mm-hmm. that is much harder. Yes, it is. Ultimately. Long, long. Ultimately, it's it's a much longer process because you don't actually you don't ever stop grieving, but you don't. Mm-hmm. But you're not in the acute stages of the grief. right. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's it is complete like I mean not the grief but like yeah. the action that you're grieving from is completely out of your control. So maybe it's a little easier to accept like that was out of my control. I had nothing to do with it unless there's, you know, obviously there's layers and there's situations. But um, you know, if if your a loved one dies of natural causes and it's completely mm-hmm. out of your control, that might you might be able to get to acceptance a little bit faster. Whereas, like yeah, you can blame you yourself, you could be angry. Like there's so yeah. many other layers to the uh, the it's, grief of a breakup that I, you know, I, I honestly I don't think it's something that can really be compared in many ways because it's like it depends. First of all, who died? Is it your grandparent who died right. who was 100, exactly. or was it your mom who died too young of lung cancer? Mm. You know, right, right. Was it like your father who you hated anyway? Like you know, like so it's that makes it's definitely complicated. But yeah. I think that what is really underneath it all is that people have to really understand that when they go through a breakup, that that is an intense grief as though someone had died. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's almost comforting for some people to understand that what they're going through is that catastrophic emotionally and that it's okay to go through all that. And then, yeah, then also like you said, the added layer of like, but they didn't die, but it feels like they did. And I kind of wish they did. It would be easier. It's just, it's really tough. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Okay. This one says struggling. We kind of talked about this earlier, struggling with being dumped and still being single in my mid thirties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it depends who wrote that in. If it's a woman who wants babies, it's a woman. So if she wanted babies, I'd say, go get your, um, your eggs, freeze your eggs. Yes. Just do it so that you can just relax a little bit. Um, just take a little bit of the pressure off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I always recommend that. Mm -hmm. Um, and let's say, so that's, that's a big part of what, um, freaks women out. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the big, that's really a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And, yeah. it's, and it's the biological clock is, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. So that's not a belief system thing. Mm-mm. That's just facts. So I would say get practical and go freeze your eggs. Um, and I would also say if you really want a family and you want kids, figure out what the hell went wrong and fix it. And then get yourself back out there fast. Yeah. And also, like, I, we, when we were talking, you were mentioning um, your mentor who is in her 80s. And I was talking, I always bring up Norma Kamali on this podcast too. And she's in her 70s and just kind of like taking some of that pressure that we just put on ourselves off and being like, oh my, when I read this now and, you know, I'm about to turn 40 in a couple of weeks and I'm just getting to this place of acceptance of like, Hey, like life isn't over. I actually feel like really excited for my forties now and I'm single. Like I'm not in a relationship and I actually feel great about it. I don't feel pressure. I actually felt more pressure at 35 and it was because of the biological clock. Um, But I do think that it's like, as women, we just need to start having the conversation. Like life is not over. There's nothing wrong or like, you're not defective if you're single at a certain age. It's just like, everyone's on a different journey. Again, an American thing. Yes. Because in Europe, it's very different. You see women in their 50s and 60s, beautiful, loving it, having affairs, having relationships, not having, they don't feel old. 
And the men are not like, they're not dating the little girls there. So Mm -hmm. um, it is very, very cultural. And yeah, people really do have to remove the pressure. And I, part of that is understanding. I think it's helpful to understand that, that like, that that is very much part of our culture and that you don't see that anywhere else. And it's ridiculous because, you know, um, we, we live a lot longer than our ancestors did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for many people, life is just beginning in their forties. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's all, it's also, you know, depending on where in the U S you live, it's a, yes. a New Yorker state of mind is very different than, you know, a, a rural Southern girl. Southern yeah. girl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. very true. All I know is after this podcast, I might contemplate moving to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. What are the importance of labels? Does this protect women in most cases? What kind of labels? Relationship labels is what I'm guessing. Like, are we boyfriend, girlfriend, that kind of thing? Oh, I think they're very important. I do too. Yeah. I think it's very important. I think... It's, you know, that person that says, oh, we don't have to label it. I'm very suspicious of that person. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? You know, like, what is that all about? Um, but I do think that this anxiety to label it, like, as soon as you meet someone, is that something that you have to overcome? Like, give it some time. You know, people are so in a rush. Mm-hmm. to get to the commitment because they want the certainty and the security that the commitment will give them. And the hardest thing is to actually, for the hardest thing for people to do in the dating phase is to kind of just enjoy that phase and see it grow and develop into something very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my answer to that is don't, if you notice that you're trying to rush into a commitment, like give it some time, but you know, if you're seeing each other and it's growing and it's building and you're like, you know, where is this going? What are your thoughts? Like, are we going to make this into something? I, I'm all for labels. Yeah. I totally agree with you about the suspicion. Cause I'm like, but why? Like if, yeah. and, and to me, that's, we go back to the integrity piece. Like if you're living in a place of integrity, then you're communicating about what you want, like what your expectations are and all of those things. If you're not able to do that and you're like, oh, let's just see what happens. To me, they all go in line. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Peace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Let's see. How do, oh, this one was, that's a long one. We'll save that one for the next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Boundaries around fidelity versus infidelity. I'm healing from a betrayal. What was the question? How do you define boundaries around fidelity and infidelity, especially when you're healing from a betrayal? So I imagine either, I think there's two narratives we could take here is one is she's in the relationship and was betrayed by her current partner. Mm -hmm. Two would be betrayal from the past and then moving into a new relationship. What kind of boundaries can you set up, especially if you have trauma maybe around betrayal from the past? Yeah. So, you know, infidelity, this is a really big topic. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're, if you're in a relationship or a marriage and you're trying to heal from fidelity, um, you need to be in therapy, both of you together. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you can't do it without that. And people can definitely bounce back from it for sure. It depends on the nature of the infidelity. It depends on the relationship, it depends on so many different things. So, um, I, and I hear of people all the time trying to get through it without actually being in couples counseling. And that's a mistake. Yeah. Got to get into couples hard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I've worked with many people, particularly women, um, who have, uh, been cheated on repeatedly in the past. And so they get really nervous when they're going into a new Mm -hmm. relationship. And one of the things that I've helped how I help them is, you know, cause then they develop this belief system of they always cheat. Like, you know, men are all cheaters or women are all cheaters, you know? And I always say, no, you choose the cheaters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I help them. What It's really important. If you have a history of being cheated on 
for you to reflect back on the red flags that were very much presented to you that you chose to ignore. Yes. And to make a list list of all of them. Uh, Yeah. Write them down. So you're very, very clear so that when you meet someone new and any of those come up, you do, you, you, you break up with the person, you stop seeing them, Mm -hmm. you talk to them, whatever it is. They're always there. Like they're, they're always there and always there. Yeah. And every single woman who I've worked with, who had that history, when I asked them that question, they're like, oh my God, yes, I knew. And there's just this and this and that. And I was like, okay, there you go. Now these are the Mm -hmm. things that you look for. And when you spot it in the next relationship for you, you're like, that's a deal breaker. I'm out. That's the deal breaker. Well, first communicate, but usually it's, it's, you know, listen to your instincts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a deal breaker because usually the things that happen that were the red flags should be deal breakers. Right. Yeah. The interesting thing about women, and I mean, maybe this is a generalization, but something that I'm learning on my journey is my intuition fucking knows. Like I know, I know Mm -hmm. every time the biggest mistake I make is not trusting it or letting someone talk me out of it. Yeah. So like in my forties, you better watch out. (laughs) (laughs) If like, if my gut starts talking to me, I'm listening. Like, I don't know. I don't care if I don't know the full story or whatever, but like when I look back, just like what you're saying at all of my relationships, I knew the whole time. And the only thing that um, made me, not know, I'm doing air quotes right now, is that either the other person tried to talk me out of it or I tried to talk me out of it because it meant yes. having to make a hard decision. It, and so, yeah. and, and it ends up making you crazy because you're just oh. like, you're not listening to your body. Your head's trying to be like, no, because if you listen to your body, then we have to leave or whatever it is. But like, it only causes you more pain it's to it. not That's listen to right. your gut. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's why I was just like, they're always there. And yeah, intuition is so, so, so important. And Especially with women. Is. I think we no, yeah, just know. That's yeah. how we're wired. Yes, yes. It's a gift. What well, and I, and I think too, it? it's, well, no, I'm just like, look, there is always, there's always that percent, that small percentage of chance that you're wrong. But I think I'm that, not. I'm talking. Uh, well, no. I'm, look, I'm not saying you in particular, For but people, like, yes, absolutely. Th- there is a chance that you're wrong. But and I think it's then your responsibility to decide whether or not like you would rather be wrong or live with this like feeling that you just yeah. don't like. And, mm-hmm. and 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 clearly, there's a trust issue somewhere else. If it's not infidelity that's happening, it's something else is going on that just means that you're probably not compatible. Here's a Uh trick for that though. Like the 24 hour rule is one that I feel like if I'm wrong, the gut feeling goes away in 24 hours and it's like, I'm peaceful. If I'm, if it's accurate, the gut feeling won't go away. It's like, Like, it's it's nagging you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So if you can wait 24 hours to actually like make a decision or whatever, then it's, I don't know. To me, it's if it went away, then it's like, okay, sit for a second, see if it comes back. But most of the time, if it's accurate, it's just going to keep screaming at you. So yeah. And keep you up at night. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are out of time for today and we've only (laughs) made it through a third of the questions. So do a part two. Yeah. We're going to have to do a part two with Jillian. Thank you so much for being here with us. And um, I know the listeners really appreciate you getting to some of these questions. I hope we are helping you guys out. I'm going to put all of the info for Jillian in the description of this podcast and you guys can go check out her website. Um, she has tons of resources. If you're listening and you're like, I need help, definitely go check her out. And I'll also go ahead and put her Instagram because I just love following you. I think it's always insightful and super helpful videos, especially. Thank you very much. It was lovely to meet you both. Of course. Likewise. Being here and we will have you back soon. Wonderful. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.